What's happening, folks? It's the Anna Gustala. It's the Anna Gustala podcast. So much news to get to this week. Threw up a YouTube video yesterday, which, as I said in the opening of it, uh, this is on the main channel. I said in the opening, this is not scripted and it was super weird to make. It very much was. And it was about selling all my bases, which I very much am keeping a couple behind obviously because I'm, a, I'm still a bass player at the end of the day so it makes sense to have a couple of tools uh, to do my job but I basically ran down in the video what, what I'm getting rid of a whole bunch of stuff that's been with me for a, a really long time and specific on specific records and just all kinds of uh, stories around that the response was kind of amazing I have a stack of boxes outside the studio here waiting to go to the post office like they flew off the shelves i've got at least five going out tomorrow uh there are still a few left for sale on the website i'm trying to do it i don't know how long this will last but i'm trying to do it as much as i can away from the ebays and the reverbs even the craigslists uh of the world i know craigslist doesn't charge you for that stuff but um reverb and ebay have always seemed like a bit of a major ripoff if um if you can actually do it privately and if you have an audience which i apparently do because a bunch of people were like hey i want that bass and i want that bass can i get that bass so doing some couple of local pickup things here in la and uh, get to meet some new people which will be awesome and uh, a few things being shipped out uh, not just across the country but around the world um, if you are interested just get in touch through the website and let us know where you are because the prices don't include shipping and uh, we want to make sure we, we give you all the information before you make the purchase and tell you what the final price is going to be, including shipping and all that stuff. So if you're not in Los Angeles or you're not planning on coming here to pick up the base directly from me, just drop an email through the website if you want one of the, the few that are left. I think the Music Masters left, the Goya, there's a Mustang up there. <coughs> uh, yeah, there's not a lot left out of uh, out of the crazy amount of stuff i took out of my storage to uh, to get ready to go so that's kind of exciting um and really as i chronicled in the in the video i'll link it in the description of this video in the show notes of the of the podcast if you're just listening on audio um but it's really about this move to being a little more uh economical with the space and just not being surrounded by crap basically uh especially stuff that i just don't use anymore and Amongst all of that, obviously, this huge project is rolling towards uh, starting. I mean, it's already kind of been moving because I've been composing and the pre-sale has been going on, but we're less than two months away from the sessions in Argentina. And as I've been writing, as I've been, you know, trying to make demos and play a little bit um, on these tunes... I got to the point where I picked the old Matheson. This one, for everyone listening, I'm holding the old Matheson here. I picked that up off the rack out of curiosity. I've obviously been playing the F bass for about a year now, which has been amazing. Um, there was just something about this particular instrument and the connection I have with it and perhaps the fact that it's chambered and the weight, the balance and stuff is really specific and the feel. And don't, don't get me wrong, there are plenty of things wrong with it. It, it is still just the very first one that Anders made for me. It's a prototype. There are still things that really need work on. Shielding in the electronics, the the pots need trimming. In fact, I might even put a new preamp in it. I'm not sure. Um, it's, it's rough around the edges, that's for sure. The intonation isn't amazing in the higher uh, register of the instrument. 
Um, that was one of the things that makes, that is one of the things that makes it complicated for recording. Like I'm really, I'm thinking I'm going to take it on the road with Steve Smith. Um, cause we're only, uh, we're less than two weeks away from that tour starting June 17th starts out the Long Island drum center all the way through July 2nd. We finish up with three nights in New York at Birdland. So, um, I'm thinking of taking it on that as 14 dates haven't toured with it in a while so it might be a, a good way to see you know like i said in the in the video on the main channel i was like mm, i'm testing it out again you know let's just make sure it's not like a brief second honeymoon period and i go oh yeah i remember all the things that i didn't like about it and why i stopped playing with played it etc etc um so I, I don't foresee that happening actually it, it's only made me feel better about the instrument just practicing with it for the last couple of weeks really trying to put in a lot of hours right now um five or six a day if i can uh a minimum of one or two even if i'm completely beat to shit and there are just so many other things going on i've been really really focused on being in great shape as i you know i have a gig in la this week um obviously the tour with steve smith is all important things but of course for my music for my uh year the most of the highlight of it the most important thing the most the thing i'm most passionate about um is is the is the um the new record that we're doing in argentina um and that has been going amazing by the way i should report in on that i've uploaded a couple of demos to the Substack to my blog just to say, hey, this is how something starts out. This is how it ends up even just a day later. I have a couple of more, a couple more of those coming this week. Kind of excited to share some brand new material and sort of the progression of that. So that's happening on the blog. That's linked in the description of the video. Yanguzdala.substack.com, completely free to read. And of course, the pre-sale. Um, I'm happy I'm remembering it in the first five minutes of the of the episode, just to let you know it's happening. Um kind of excited about that i mean you know i've been talking about these bonus tracks and that whole thing of like going sort of crate diving in the in the record store looking for the japanese imports and that extra song that with the artist always made back in the day for japanese releases um so i'm kind of excited to do three not just one but three tracks on this uh that will only be for people involved in the pre-sale i won't upload that to spotify or apple music or any of the streaming platforms i'm not going to put that on youtube that really is some exclusivity for people who are kind of truly invested in the music and fans and just like long form projects like i do uh, i'm slowly realizing that's not i think i've always realized that in relation to my music i'm, I'm realizing that's not a massive number that's not tens of thousands of people um but it's really kind of cool seeing the people that come along that are into it because it's, it's that thing where it's like, it's kind of you either are or you aren't listening to a whole album or being a fan, real fan of an artist isn't really a passive thing. So you're either in or you're not. And I'm, I'm meeting and coming into contact with a lot of people who are in, and that is really fun. And it's really nice to see that I'm not alone in terms of wanting to listen to new music um, or wanting to make new music. And I'm not alone in terms of wanting to be a part of other people's sort of journeys. Um, I definitely get involved with artists, uh, you know, from the ground floor whenever I can. People that I really dig and people that I'm following and, you know, whose music I really am looking forward to hearing. And uh, the sooner it comes out, the better. So, yeah, it's it's awesome. Really awesome to see. Um, massive thank you to everyone who's involved so far. We've got several hundred people involved, which is really 
kind of crazy because it's like paying for flights and studio time and all kinds of stuff in terms of the album we, we're kind of on target to break even again on the whole session and the project it's kind of a big one argentina is a long way away flights are not cheap i'll tell you that um and i'm looking forward to making like a proper video for the main channel the main youtube channel afterwards sort of breaking it all down like what happened you know how how did it all go what did it all kind of cost what were the some of the things i plan for and you know that, that that happened and what were some of the things that I, obviously i couldn't even plan for that we don't even know uh, that haven't even happened yet i'm sure there will be a bunch of them already we've changed drummers in the past few weeks and uh we're actually working out cliff's travel tomorrow and yes yeah, it's, it's it is very exciting i like that about the process it is exciting even when something comes up like that or like a massive change to your plans it it's it's still exciting i like the challenge of solving solving the problem and uh so far so good i've been pretty good at problem solving and maybe that's what's kept me sane and and got me to where i am today um that and just being super passionate about the music and and as soon as i picked this bass up again i started working on stuff that sounds like that even though the intonation, like I said, is a bit weird in the top end of the instrument, it needs a setup. That major to minor, I love that move. And those those crunches, still don't know how I'm going to orchestrate that or arrange it. And then right before I hit record, I was doing something where I had this interval of a fifth uh, and just kind of moving that around I might throw that in the looper oh, my looper is not optimal optimally placed here let's see if I can do this without messing it up so it's just a, a G and a D changing the root note Thank you. 
probably just blew out the uh, the peaking on the uh, <laughs> distorted it all in the recorder. But <clears throat> little things like that are starting to happen um, at the bass. I'd, I'd spent a lot of time um, in in recent weeks at the piano writing, and hadn't been so inspired sitting at the bass. Any of the instruments actually. Um, and when I grabbed this one, I was like, "Oh yes, I remember." I remember those chords and that sound and I really don't know what it is. I haven't spoken to Anders in a while. Um, I'm not by any means trying to get back into a like signature bass thing. I'm not trying to pick up where we left off, uh, you know, having had it all fall apart the way it did. But I would be interested to see what Anders would come up with if he made a f- like people out there have the finished version of this. That's, <laughs> that's the fucked up thing. People have like a, a you know, a handmade master built, um version of this bass like a finished you know what i should have actually this was was i don't think even think this was like serial number zero zero one i think this was just zero 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 with a question mark who knows a real prototype sort of frankenstein together um so it would be nice to have one of those finished ones and uh maybe i'll end up talking to anders about that he did build me and chelsea a bass for our wedding as well which was looked beautiful and it was a six string very interesting so i'm sort of curious to check out those instruments and and see what a finished version of this would look like if that would be something that would just be a total no-brainer completely permanent main bass you know um i talked in in that in that video a little bit the most recent video from yesterday a little bit about what i was keeping um and two Mattisons were on that list, the Triple P and the Henrik Linder prototype, because they're kind of great all-round instruments, much like a P bass and a jazz bass, a precision bass and a jazz bass. So I'm also keeping one each of those. It's about five basses in total. I had 25, I think, or th- and I had, it was a lot. 25 or 30, it was way up there, and I basically stripped it out to the five sort of most essential instruments. I'm going to keep them on a rack in the studio here. Um, can just like go grab them. I know exactly what they do. I know exactly what I can get out of all of them. Um, and I know, especially with this one, that there's a whole lot of things I don't know about it yet, even still after having played it for years. And that's kind of exciting. Um, and if I can find a way to make this build, this chambered thing, this weight balance, this neck, the combination of woods, the wengi and the elm and just all of it, if I can find a way to get back to that, just to be a player of the bass, not have my name on it, not be a signature instrument, not have any business deal or arrangement with Anders or with the brand, um, that would be really nice based on the last couple of weeks um, of being back with the instrument and playing it and kind of researching it almost. Um, imagine that's a really weird thing to say, like researching an instrument I've played for thousands of hours. Uh, I feel like I sort of went back to square one with it again, which was nice. One thing uh, which will be a little exclusive to the podcast, I guess, is that uh, one thing I didn't mention in that video is that that jazz bass that I'm keeping that I ended up putting Aguilar I think these are the vintage jazz bass Aguilar pickups in it. You can see that if you're watching on YouTube. Um, it's a made in Japan, medium scale. I don't actually know what that means in terms of inches. Does that mean it's 32, 33? It's definitely shorter. It's not like a traditional Fender. Um, actually, if I hold it up to this, to the Matheson, what does it look like? What does it look like? 
Let's see if I can get the bridges kind of in the same place. Actually, it looks a little smaller than the Matheson. Interesting. The Matheson is 32. Wow. Maybe it's a short. I don't know why. I, anyway, it's a, one other they told me it was a, they called it a medium scale. I played one of his. He's been actually been responsible for me getting a bunch of different bases. And um, like I said in the video yesterday, he's, he had Kling, Josh Klinghoffer's uh, Goya. And I played Klinghoffer's Goya first. I think Juan has a couple of them now. Um, so he was sort of the catalyst for that. And when I was at his studio one day, he had one of these made in Japan, sort of smaller jazz bass. And I played it and it felt really good and still punchy and funky. So, and you could only get them in Japan. It wasn't like made in Japan, but you could go to Guitar Center in LA and get them. No, you actually had to go to Japan and get them. That's the only place they sold them, not only made them. So shortly after I played his, I was on tour in Japan, probably, shit, man, this is over 10 years ago. 2011 2012 something like that with kazumi watanabe and got a contact somewhere and uh there were no freebies this wasn't a deal or anything i actually went to a store and uh found one and and bought it and that's one of the ones i'm keeping and uh, i think the reason it didn't make it in the video yesterday was because i couldn't find it and then it wasn't until after i finished shooting the video that i remembered oh yeah my wife has been using it she digs that bass so I always have to remember to go check her rack in her studio and be like, oh, that's where that bass is. I have to do that sometimes. Anyway, that's a little exclusive just to take a look at that jazz bass. Um, I don't know what they call that color, some kind of white. And uh, just a really nice instrument. And it, it was an upgrade putting the Aguilar pickups in it. I think the stock ones weren't fantastic. I have them somewhere still. If I were to ever sell it, I would be able to sell it as the original setup. But uh, yeah. I dig it. I really dig it. And it will be staying. Um, might not be staying out. It might not be one of those things that I'm, you know, grabbing all the time. I, also kind of much like the P base. Those two might actually be in storage, even though I'm uh, holding on to them just as options for when I do get those calls, which happen, you know, like I said in the video, I'm not the studio guy running to Sunset and Village and East West and United and capital and all those studios all day every day but the calls do come and i do have to play some sort of fender bass uh at times and so that's why they're kind of basic tools of the trade that's that's the way i'm framing it in my head um and that so far is what feels best there's that whole marie kondo thing like does it bring you joy and like these five instruments when i picked them up i'm like yeah you know what these are these are awesome <laughs> I, I love playing them um and th that includes the F bass as well. It's not like I'm just trashing the F bass. It's an unbelievably nice instrument. And on record, like as in the lower register on record, it's phenomenal. Um, maybe it's even better in the first two frets, bottom two frets than the Matheson. I don't know. It's just really different. Um, and I think it's a really nice modern instrument to have. That's kind of how I was putting together the the equation here of like what am i keeping and why am i keeping it and i really had to think long and hard about i spent like two or three weeks really thinking about this and how am i justifying each thing and what again the marie kind of thing what thing brings me the most joy and although it's kind of sad like they haven't gone yet who knows they might never sell the the music master and the goya might never sell um they're not 
priced particularly low, I will say, but they're also super rare. So, and I've remembered, I got to put photos up of this. I remembered I actually have the original tweed, like Fender tweed case with the red velvet interior for the Music Master. So that's like a full set. If anyone's into watches, that's almost like box and papers. I don't have the receipt, but I do have the box, like the original case. So that definitely sort of justifies the price. I think they're going to sell. I've had so many inquiries about them and the only thing holding people up really, I guess, is the shipping and overseas and imports and all that kind of stuff. So I think they're going to sell. It just might take a few few more days. Um, but yeah, like th- those do bring me some joy when I pick them up. It's not like they're shitty instruments. I'm not getting rid of them because they're crap. Um, so it was really took a while to pull those out and play them and like, okay, they bring me joy, but like what, like what is it about them that would justify me keeping them? Um, like, because they just haven't been out of the, out of the closet or off the rack. They've been on the rack. They've been in view. I've been tripping over them for two or three years or four years or how long we've lived in this house. Um, we suddenly got more space. We suddenly had enough space to have stuff out and not have stuff like, there was still a ton of stuff in cases, but not have everything in cases. Like in the old place, I think I had like three or four bases out in our old house because it was significantly smaller, probably half the size. And when we moved in here and I got a studio space and Chelsea got a studio space and plus we have other bedrooms and we live on two, this two level house is just way more set up to be we've actually screwed ourselves (laughs) because if we ever wanted to move um it would be so hard to find a place that was this dialed in for what we do and for being bass players and for making noise and for working and being able to work at the same time as well in fact maybe we should do an episode of the podcast before i leave on tour talking about that because it's kind of interesting to bass players being in the same house and and how we do that how we work and how this this place has really helped us so yeah kind of enabled me to have all of this space to have stuff out so i kind of did and not really for the right reasons it, I, I thought okay i'm gonna have everything out so i see it and then i'll be inspired i'll walk into my studio and i'll see the second p bass or something I'll be like oh that's got those strings on it that are almost 20 years old awesome let me go do something with that and the reality was like whatever was on the single stand closest to my desk which was for a long time this Matheson most recently it was been the F bass those are the instruments that got played um and the reality of my life is not the ability to just come down here and sit on the couch and look at all the instruments and go ooh let me see let me go pick that one and see what no time is so limited and the focus has to be so much more kind of pinpointed than it was before i don't have that luxury of like taking 30 minutes to decide which instrument i might play before i go and practice or record or write so that is yeah that is something i really have to uh, come to terms with and sort of understand and be okay with and figure out like how that then works like how you know how do I work? What is the most efficient way to use this, this ton of extra space I have? And it is definitely about getting rid of a ton of stuff. I'm so glad pedals take up so much less space. I don't doubt I'm going to get rid of a few because there are a ton that just sort of sit here and I haven't used in a long time. So I'm kind of trying to bring myself to do the same thing with the pedals. They're obviously a lot easier to ship and they're a lot easier to 
just to wheel and deal and move around. Um, but they do take up a significantly smaller amount of space than 25 or 30 bases, even though I have like 300 of them. Um, so also I thought about that a lot in terms of the pedals and the bases and the pedals are something I really do. That's why I have them out here. You can't actually see any of them in the shot right now, I don't think, but that's why I have them out on display. Those are things that I do sort of while I'm practicing or while I'm making a demo or recording, I'll be hearing a sound and be like, oh, hang on a second. And I've got this library of potential um, sounds just sitting there on the shelf. So that is something that really helps me to have those out and on display they should be better organized for sure. And even though they look nice with the lights and everything, they're, they're like, there's a bunch of crap behind them as well. Did they just piled up in the back? So they definitely need organizing. Uh, but it's definitely been a lot easier to hold on to those. Uh, even some of the ones that I don't use for six months or a year at a time, just because I'm far more likely to want to grab a pedal than I am a bass in terms of creating a new sound. So yeah, that's how. That's how I've arrived at this spot. And it's made so free. Just like, they're not even gone yet. Like, we lit this literally just started yesterday. The post office wasn't open today. I'm going tomorrow with a bunch of huge boxes. I might even have to make two trips because I don't think they'll all fit in my car uh, for this first wave of instruments leaving the house. But even that, even just boxing them up and, you know, putting them in cases and do the packing and the bubble wrap and all of that stuff is really freeing just to know that all that space is going to be there and that's way less clutter and I can actually like walk through the room. <laughs> it's, I don't know why I can't pinpoint it yet. Um, I used a photograph of a very sparsely, uh, furnished office, just a desk of a plant and a chair, uh, in the video, you'll see it towards the end. Cause that's kind of what I'm dreaming about real sort of simplicity and just walking in the space and maybe it's about having stuff off the floor. You know, I have posters and stuff, which I kind of dig and moments in my career that I look at. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And that was fun. And I change those around from time to time because there are different things I want to see. But stuff off the floor, I think, is cool. Like having these built-in um, shelves uh, all, all the way down one side of my studio is awesome for books and for pedals and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, once I get that floor space, reclaim it. There was an early video, like when we first moved in here in 2019, like October or November, I just saw a clip. I was searching through for some B-roll and I saw a clip of me on camera and just nothing in the background. Just You could see empty floor uh, as far from the door, from one end of the studio to the other. I was like, oh, that's, I remember that. I remember walking into that space and feeling very happy and very motivated to work. So I don't know if you are listening and feel that and are working towards decluttering yourself i had a lot of fantastic feedback in in the comments on that video yesterday and people saying similar they're doing similar things and they've had you know t even if it's just 10 instruments and they're taking it down to two um some people leaving some very funny comments like yeah i i know i know i know i only need three bases but why do I have 17? You know, and I'm like, yeah, I totally feel you. And um, that gear, that gas gear acquisition syndrome, I totally get that as well. You get sucked in. I got sucked in with the Music Master. 
I told the story. I went nuts. I wanted to buy the one I was playing. It belonged to Jim O'Rourke. I couldn't do it. The studio couldn't find him to get the permission to sell it to me. Even though I had a ton of cash with me, it just didn't happen. And I went nuts and found one in New York, you know, calling guitar stores between takes on the session to try and get my own one because I was so in love with it right away. But like I said in the video, it's like it was a moment that should have just kind of stayed a moment, I think. And I'm sort of excited to just go and do that again. It just I do that anyway. On every every single studio I walk into, I'm like, "Hey, do you have something kind of shitty, something fucked up, something that somebody left here, something you've been staring at? That's like, God, what are we gonna do with that old junky bass? Like, I want to ex- experiment with that. I want to experience those instruments. And I know it will happen again. You know, so that sort of makes me that makes me more excited knowing that I have potentially dozens or hundreds more experiences like that to come it makes me more excited than like finding the the most amazing 52 p base or something or 51 or like the earliest of the earliest now the more like i'm this is going to sound crazy for a guy who has 300 pedals um but i'm i'm not a collector (laughs) you know and i don't want to be that that's why i'll probably trim some of the pedal stuff down um just because it does feel a little collectory, you know, the pedals are kind of a of an endless rabbit hole of sounds that I do want the options for. Um, at least that's how I'm justifying it to myself now. Who knows what happens in time? But uh, luckily, they kind of stay out of the way. And I'm just, but with the basses, I've never been that like, save for a few moments where I've gone, "Holy shit, I gotta have that." I've never been the guy who's like lusted after the 62 jazz or p whatever you hear these everyone has this like amazing thing this and number that and year oh this was the year oh if you don't have one of these you can't call yourself a bass player you hear plenty of people like that and i'm like you know there are a few people in the world actually friends of mine that that really does make sense for like when i think about chris cheney and the kind of bonkers collection of instruments that he has um I think, whoa, that's a lot of instruments. But then you listen to him play and you look at the kind of sessions he's on and the movies he does. I was like, oh, completely justified. You know, could he do it all on one P bass? Maybe. Could he have just a P and a jazz? Okay, maybe. But he's so in demand. Why not have all the options when you, that really is your job. Like when every day your phone rings for a, high level recording session in los angeles the last it's the last crusade like of of that being a thing so i I look at him and i think yeah you know what that's super justified and i'm not i'm just not that that's not what i um am passionate about you know i could have talked to nate oh i should interview nathan east for the for the podcast and talk about what he takes to the studio it's probably not dozens of instruments but I bet he takes a few, you know. Of course, he plays the Yamahas, but I think he has a couple of different models he uses and be interesting to talk to him because he's on a lot of big sessions as well. And the difference between the guys, like maybe I misremembered this, but I did say in the video yesterday, I sort of mentioned Lee Sklar um, as taking dozens of instruments to a session. Maybe I misremembered hearing that. Uh, but I really thought I'd heard that in an interview where he was talking about taking maybe not dozens, but maybe like 20 or so instruments to a session. Um, maybe that's not all the time. Maybe that was a special 
occasion. Uh, maybe it was really necessary for a certain thing. Either way, I think he has the option. I, I know he's played like that that real weird Frankenstein looking bass on so many amazing records. And uh, I think he's probably played. Oh, and the Dingwall as well. He plays the Dingwall live. So I don't know. Maybe I uh, misquoted him. Then I'll need to publish. Maybe this is the retraction or the, hey, you know what? Maybe I got it wrong sort of uh, announcement. But either way, like there are only a very few people I see in the world who are really sort of justified from a work standpoint to have that many instruments uh, and they will actually use them all on a pretty regular basis. So I'm really interested to see out of the five instruments that I picked to keep out of all of mine, I want to keep a really uh, sort of good handle on how much I use them. You know, is it really, I'm keeping five because I've got, I need a P and I need a jazz. Like even I'm saying it like, oh, I must have this, must have that. I hope I'm doing it in the most minimalist way. And even though I'm justifying keeping a jazz and a P because they are, the most recorded instruments for bass players of all time. And they just sound the best. Their engineers know them the best. They're the most proven path, shall we say. Um, how much am I actually going to use them? So I'm really quite uh, interested to see how that pans out. I think over a year, over two years, let's see. Um, i tell you what I am doing with them, um, which is a very luxurious, I will say, and kind of bougie. I will say that the actual Fenders, the Jazz and the P, um, the, the real Jazz, the real P by Fender, I have nylon tape wounds on them, okay? And then the Henrik Linder, which is, although it has P and J pickups, I feel it's more of a jazz bass. Uh, that's the feeling I get from it. I have round wounds on that. And then the Mattison Triple P, uh, which is obviously <laughs> in the name. It's more, way more of a P bass. I have some DR legends, like flats on that. So I have rounds, flats, and nylon tapes on the sort of four studio kind of basses. Um, actually, it's six total then, right? So jazz, a P, two Mattisons, and then the F and this one. So wow, so it's actually six total. Here we go. Get it right, Guzdala. Um, so really, wow, that, it, as I say that, it sounds, as I say that, I immediately want to sell one. <laughs> I thought five was the absolute ceiling. Oh, that's a really weird feeling. Having just said that and realized it's actually six bases and not five. Interesting. Okay. So I really have to police myself on that. That'll be interesting. It is six. Will it in six months become six months become five? Should it in six months become five? That's going to be interesting. And the the thing is, I don't know how. Um, so I don't know how many how many sounds I can recreate on this Mattison on this five string. Just, and it's got, oh, that was both of them open. Yeah, that's more of a P sound. And, and the pickup placement is really sort of unconventional on here as well. You see how to, anyone watching, you can see how the pickups are quite close together. You know, obviously, like 
compared to the jazz bass here holy shit you can't whoops you can't really see that there you go now you can see it in the light they are way far apart and the ones here in my mattison are almost touching um and these are the super doubles so they're more on the jazz sounding pickups i believe i believe that's what they are um so that's like a totally different thing so if we just play back pickup and now just front pickup and now both pickups not too much difference there with both but there is a massive difference between front and back it's just not as big a difference sort of with most other instruments definitely not the f bass definitely not this jazz bass so you know how am i going to end up in a situation where i'm like i just feel comfortable with this Madison, with this five string and i make it i can make it sound like a p make it sound like a jazz is that going to be what it is i'm it's really quite fascinating for someone who doesn't really consider myself that much of a bass nerd like when it actually comes to the instrument itself um it is quite interesting with this new tack of sort of stripping everything down and being a little more minimalist with what i have definitely interesting is to, to see what's actually going to happen what the reality is going to be is everything i've just said for the past 35 minutes and that video i put out yesterday is it all going to end up being horse shit you know what i mean i don't think so it's a very uh i'm being as honest as i possibly can about it in the in the process here but it is like okay let's see one year from now what am i going to be doing um i didn't think that a year i didn't think a year ago i'd be playing this bass ever again uh. oh that got oh i bumped it huh oh yeah <laughs> bumped the top string when i was moving it around so that is really out of tune i i cannot describe how much i appreciate the massive numbers if anyone out there has a as an hx uh as a helix rack you'll know what i'm talking about the tuner when you go into tuner mode i'm probably i don't know i'd say 10 feet from my workstation over there which is like the the helix rack is in the rack on my on my studio desk and it's and i'm getting old my eyes are terrible now and i need new glasses but this thing is huge the old strobe tuner very much appreciate that of course at my feet i have the the uh the helix control which also has the little strobe thing on it not quite as effective so i very much appreciate the old man big numbers situation big letters rather situation on the on the helix rack the luxury of having uh having a huge piece of rack gear And now I've cut some records on this bass as well. You know, I, I I don't know what that is. Maybe there's some level of comfort that I've arrived at in terms of being in the studio with this bass. That is, yeah. It's um, it really reminded me a lot of, is this going to sound maybe a little crazy? Is this blasphemous? I don't, I'm not, I'm really not trying to diss anyone here at all. But the one thing that really made me love this Matheson in the first place was the difference between 
the Federa, which was obviously completely solid body, and then getting this slightly lighter, chambered, more organic-sounding Matheson. Like, that move was very musical. It's kind of amazing the amount of uh, bullshit that's going around the internet. A couple of friends of mine told me, like, hey, you know everyone thinks you just switch bases for the for the money, right? <laughs> that's fucking unbelievable. Uh, there was no money. Um, so let's throw that out there right away. Um, yeah, okay, I got some free bases out of it. But yeah, everyone, uh, not everyone, uh, 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 a significant number of people have, have apparently uh, decided that Moving from company to company is all about just going where the money is. It could not be farther from the truth. It was for like, aside from the like actual um, business side of how a company handles you as an artist, um, which is less business and more of a personal thing. Uh, that's, you know, it's just unbelievable that pe- like the people that have never been in the room, never endorsed a product, never had a base made even probably, and they're like, "Oh no, that's that's exactly what it is. This is just for the money." That's, that has always made me laugh. It's, I think I've talked a little bit about this before as well, like being off social media and having like cancelled my talk base and base chat, like all music forums uh, uh, accounts just deleted them all, so I don't see any of that shit anymore. Um, after yeah really <laughs> consider how close my friends are when they send me links to that shit like hey man have you seen all this shit um but yeah it does come across my desk sometimes and it is quite amusing when people get it so wrong um so to get back to the point the point being it was really a musical uh transition that i remember it vividly from the federa to the Matteson, and this the kind of more like i said more organic thing um kind of a little more a little more singing, a little more, a little more, I don't know, like the only word I can come up with is organic right now, but maybe, maybe a little more natural is the, I don't know what it is, um, but it's definitely like the Federa feels like a modern bass. Yeah, and the, the point I'm getting to here is that the F bass kind of feels modern as well. That's why I think it's like a, a fantastic studio instrument for, for sort of pop and R&B. Because um, it, it has that sort of a really specific sound. It's almost a cross between a... It's not, no, it's not. It's kind of like a vintage jazz but with some modern sensibilities that provides this sort of low-end growl in the studio that's almost unbeatable as really, I think that's the best way to describe it. And the rec- the few records I've played it on have just been like instant, almost sounds like mix and mastered before I've even sent it away to the producer to, to mess with. So, yeah. So the, the I think the, the Federa and the F were kind of similar and of course, in in terms of like the lack of finish and the, um, you know, the solid body, there's nothing chambered there, and then this one just sort of pops out the middle again for my music. I think that's a really good point to make with this is that it's like really specific to my music, and as that is what I'm focusing on more than anything these days. Uh, obviously, that's the thing that is, 
you know, most important to me and the thing I'm worried about, uh, anxious about, the thing I'm thinking about the most, the thing of the, the, the problem I'm trying to, the solution I'm trying to find for the problem most of the time. So, yeah, very unexpected. Um, let's see. I'm also using the Zoom H6 to record this podcast, so it's not the greatest representation of going to tape, so to speak. But I think that the the sound um, on the track "Northern Line" from the last uh, from the last album from One Way Out, that there's a whole performance of that on YouTube. That's on my channel. It's called "Northern Line" from One Way Out. I think that sort of encapsulated the chordal and melodic um, thing I was going to the best so far. Of course, that has a lot to do with Juan Pablo and his engineering and just that situation. But I definitely felt like I made a step forward on that session with this instrument, which is really nice for, for my own music. I'm sure if any of you out there are listening, I had, I had a comment today on the on the new video, something along the lines of like, oh, I played this bass today, but then I... Uh, I'll play the, another one the next day and then it'll sound like shit. But then it was basically like moving around a bunch of instruments and one sounds good one day, but it doesn't sound good the next. And, you know, like what is up with that? I, I left a comment. I replied saying, I think it's probably got a lot more to do with the intent with which you play rather than the instruments themselves. Unless there's something you know seriously wrong with those instruments or the weather is changing or something like really sort of physical happening with them. If it's not that, which bass, it doesn't, they don't really move. If they're decent instruments, they don't really move around that much. At least I haven't experienced that over my career. Even on cheaper instruments, bass seems to be a little more stable. Not like guitars that, that seem to move around and saxophones sharp and flat, like all kinds of stuff that are really susceptible to weather and humidity changes. Um, but yeah, if there is an extreme weather change, that could well be an issue. Um, but yeah, normally it's about the intent with which you play. And I'm sure there are people out there who are thinking about that, recording their own music and even just from gig to gig, you know, like, hey, why? I remember that. I remember that early days when I had a wall bass and I had a uh, an SWR working man's 12 or 15, something like that, a single speaker combo. Um, why did I have that? Because Lawrence Cottle had it and uh, that I liked his sound and sometimes I could recreate it and sometimes I couldn't and I didn't for the life of me know why I didn't understand EQ I didn't understand how rooms changed and most importantly because uh, all of that should be sort of irrelevant if you have a sound more importantly I didn't understand that I just wasn't consistent as a player yet we're talking like very early days only playing a year or two um and the importance of becoming consistent as a player. So in my reply to this cat's comment, it was like, hey, you might want to think about a little more rigid practice routine to work on your fundamentals every day, um, even if that's sort of counterintuitive or it's not particularly what you want to do. It might be good to have a little discipline with your intent with the instrument just to build the foundation uh, perhaps a little stronger than it is. And I've always found that with my playing throughout my career has always been like, oh, if something's deficient, if something's not consistent day to day, it's probably not, you know, the thing on the gig that's going wrong that's the issue. It's probably more like I just haven't practiced the foundation. I don't have uh, as much stamina as I as I need. And it's not that I'm not capable of playing the thing on the gig that maybe I might be making a mistake on. It's that. I just need to sort of bolster the foundation a little bit more. 
And it's normally always the simplest answer as well. It's kind of frustrating like that. You want it to be something complicated. Oh, you really get to work on this new thing. But uh, lo and behold, no, you just have to go back. And work on groups of five with major scales. So I don't know what it is. It's a random, uh, random example there. Ah. You know, and how accurate are you with all your two octave arpeggios? Just the basics. So it's always annoyingly simple, it seems. And when I go back to that stuff, uh, I benefit hugely. That's what, that's the kind of stuff I've been working on the past couple of weeks when I'm really putting in the hours. I'm not putting in the hours on like, uh, I'm not putting in the hours on giant steps or, or any, any of that other stuff. I'm putting in the hours on the simple stuff to give myself confidence to be able to go where my ear tells me. I think that's the, at least for my music, that's the most important thing because I'm primarily an improvising musician. So I need to be able to execute ideas that I'm having in real time. And my bass playing needs to go where my, where my ear tells it. So fundamental technique that I don't have to, that I shouldn't be thinking about or feeling deficient in any way. in that's the thing I'm working on the most. Then I've been working on some ear training stuff just been playing random songs on spotify and playing along to them and making sure i'm picking up root motions and chord qualities and just songs we're talking about pop songs um uh, you know as simple as possible you know and then little things like i was playing along to um we'll be back in the highlight uh back in the highlight again stevie wonder uh, stevie wonder oh my god i'm so tired stevie winwood it's just one to four it starts out it's so so simple but it has that um it has that uh kind of funky bridge in the middle you know that comes kind of out of nowhere so if you're just in your one four five pop mode and suddenly there are all these other other weird um chords that you weren't expecting there's a great way to challenge your ear and can you get that happens twice i think so can you hear the weird thing the first time it happens and then make sure you know it uh the next time it happens that's always a challenge so i'm doing that with the most basic stuff um I really want to make this video soon about how I think John Coltrane's Giant Steps and Katy Perry's Firework <coughs> are not that different. Um, that may sound like an outrageous statement. And of course, in terms of harmonic density and pure genius, they're pretty fucking far apart, let's face it. But in terms of the way um, I think we should be approaching learning music and maintaining our foundational sort of chops and ear training um they are really similar 
I think, um, just in picking out route motions. And it's a little, maybe a little easier, and that should be maybe the first step on the road is something like Katy Perry's Firework. But eventually when you get farther down the road and you pick up something like Giant Steps or Countdown or 26.2 or Moments Notice or any of these densely, uh, uh, harmonically dense tunes should all be the same natural reaction to just pick, especially as bass players, to pick out the root motion. So, uh, 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 what is it? Is that? Uh, Something like that. Right? So it's just four chords, right? Um, you know, it's really, really quite simple and very repetitive as well. You get the same four chords over and over again. But there's no reason, especially as Giant Steps has been recorded at this point by so many different people in so many different tempos. It's not just... It's not just... It's just, it's not just the John Coltrane 1960, 15, whenever it was. It's not just his version at that higher tempo. Um, go check out the Matheny version. I don't know if it's that slow. I can't remember off the top of my head because, of course, I've got Katy Perry's Firework. It's the much catchier tune. I've got that in my head right now, but. You know, so I want to make the comparison of um, just how to arrive at that first um, home point of E flat, the first major key center, where it kind of hangs out for a whole bar before we go to the obviously the next. Uh, make the comparison between train being like B D seven G major seven B flat seven to E flat, and just stopping there, and then Katy Perry A flat. Uh, it's still just root motions and um I, I think a lot of people probably wouldn't give pop music like Katy perry or justin bieber the time of day um in terms of adding that into their process but I think that's probably an amazing place to start if you feel like your ears are a little deficient in terms of being able to immediately pick out root motion and be aware of what's going on harmonically. Um, just start out with something like Katy Perry's Firework or Justin Bieber, like any of those tunes, like 2012 to 2016, there's like a ton of teeny pop Bieber Perry tunes that uh John Mayer tunes even daughters like what you know tons of tunes that only have a few chords and and a, and a few chords that are like oh where did that come from a few nice little surprises here Kelly play along to Kelly Clarkson any of that stuff any of that like super pop stuff also where it's super clear as well and the form is really defined you're probably verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus 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 like standard pop form maybe not even a bridge <clears throat> maybe not even a differentiation not even maybe not even a difference in chord changes between the verse and the chorus anymore that's how so much pop music has become it's just one four chord loop so maybe you get pretty bored with it after the first 90 seconds of, of being into a song but play 50 songs uh, you know 
that's a great place to start. I normally try and put 20 or 25 songs in a playlist and blast through them. You know, hopefully I've never heard them before and it's all new information. And sometimes it's Stevie Winwood, you know, bring me a higher love, not Stevie Wonder. <laughs> and sometimes it's Stevie Wonder and it's a complicated tune or it's, or, it's, or something just totally different, Ribbon in the Sky or, but what was I playing the other day? Um, these arms, oh, my, uh, Otis Redding, um, Bill Withers, just on and on and on. Uh, Sturgill Simpson, just like totally random stuff. Uh, John Bryan, like all just really as much diverse sort of musical stylings as you can possibly get in a playlist and just get through it and force your force yourself to stay in it as well don't get despondent of course build your playlist according to you to where you think your your ability might be and where you need pushing and where you need help don't don't out ear yourself in the first go because you just get oh shit i can't do this give yourself a chance actually go like five notches down like easier then you then you think you're able to just to build confidence you know if you, if you can pick out coltrane giants well if you can pick out the harmony to giant steps without having heard it before you're just probably in pretty good shape but if you can pick out firework for instance like put 20 tunes like that together just to give yourself the repetition that, literally that's what i'm doing 44 years old i've been playing bass for way too many years but that's still what i do just to you know just to play songs as well, just to, it's how to be match fit. That's one thing I'm not doing when I'm home in LA is playing lots of gigs. So when I go out on the road, it takes me twice as much work at home in the practice room to be ready for a tour than it would if I was playing three or four gigs a week. Um, and even then, touring is touring. It's something completely different from even playing locally or definitely all of that is different from playing just in, in your studio, in your practice room. So it takes me a night or two to really be road road worn again let's say and uh yeah i think i'm gonna leave it there it's amazing to be able to get through an hour and only have to take a couple of sips and not be sick and the kiddo is doing great and uh things are just on a different trajectory right now she's sleeping through the night where we've we've had a couple of weeks of not being sick which has been beautiful um i'm getting this sort of zen space going in here with the lack of instruments again if you want to check out some of the instruments these they are what's left of them <laughs> you guys help really helped empty my uh, storage here but what's left of them are up on the website there are a couple of things i haven't even listed there are like two or three bases i haven't even listed yet because they were just buried and since yesterday i just haven't had time to get them out but this week i'll add a couple more pieces but for the most part everything is up on the website as of the posting of this podcast and uh, make sure you check out the video there are some fun stories in there uh, i'll link it in the show notes i'll link it below this video and of course the pre-sale is linked below as well if you're uh, if you want to come on the journey with us to to argentina we're t-minus le slightly less than two months before we actually get in the studio and start cutting these cutting these tunes so that's it folks see you uh, see you out there on the road on the east coast i hope with steve smith and vital information Otherwise, catch you all next week. Later. Mm -hmm.